in a world where some of the greatest motion pictures ever made are reaching their 30th anniversaries. One group of friends gathered together to pay tribute to these films. Pat Cantagallo. Dennis Matouche. Jeff Mazuka. Each week, we take a look back at one movie that is reaching that 30-year milestone. Whether you love seeing these films in the theater or enjoying them for the first time at home, we invite you to join us this year as we travel back in time to 1986. I am your host, John Reed, and you're listening to the 30-something Movie Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the 30-something Movie Podcast. We are on episode number 55, the Big Five Five. Um, this episode will be coming to you on Wednesday, February 24th. Um, the, or, this is probably going to be one of the most explosive episodes of the podcast so far, or at least the movie that we're viewing is probably one of the most explosive. Um, this one had more bodies flying through the air than a Cirque du Soleil show. Like a, yeah. Cirque, if it was like a Cirque du Soleil of death, then that was this movie. With that would be that would be yes. Death and motorcycles and airplanes and RPGs and Chuck Norris. <laughs> Dudes falling out of airplanes. And and Lee Marvin looking like he's about to die, which he did not too long after this movie. Yes. I didn't I didn't realize he was horribly sick while they were making this movie. Like horribly sick, like had the flu, or horribly sick, like like worse than the flu. He had like some kind of abdominal infection or something. While they were making this movie, so that's why he didn't have a whole lot of action. I mean, he was older anyway, but right. he didn't have a whole lot of action in the movie because he was. They said he was very like sick with abdominal pain and all kinds of stuff the whole movie. Ouch. So that's I not cool. That all right. Well, speaking of abdominal pain, we do tend to spoil the events of every movie we talk about. I don't know how that fits in, but um, it yeah, might make you sick to your. Say. I mean, it might make you sick to your stomach if we tell you something you don't want to hear. So. Um, this movie might make you sick to your stomach. We don't know. This movie, depending on your opinions, sure, this movie might make you sick to your stomach. But we do tend to spoil the events of the movies we talk about. So if you have not seen it yet, you may want to watch the movie first. If you don't care about being spoiled, uh, we might be able to give you some reasons you should go watch it or let you know whether you should save some time and go do something else like, I don't know, take up knitting. Basket weaving. Basket weaving. That'd be a good one, too. Um, yeah. Um, one thing we wanted to ask real quick, if you would head over right now to iTunes and leave us a review, we would appreciate it. Uh, if you could just do that real quick, it'd just take a few seconds, um, or wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, we're, we get most of our subscriptions, I think through iTunes, uh, but we have a lot of other listeners coming from other places. So, um, if you wouldn't mind, uh, we would like to get some of those, uh, reviews up and we'd like to, to move on up in the iTunes rankings. Um, I don't know where we're at right now, but we're, like there's a lot of other shows way ahead of us. So but those are big name people with lots and lots of money and we're just I'm just a big guy with not a lot of money. So Hey man, we're we're grassroots. We are grassroots. We're like we're like whatever's below the grassroots. We're the we're the bedrock. We're the bedrock. We're we're the stuff that fertilizes the grass. That's right. We are yeah, I'm not gonna take that any further. All right. Let's leave that, let's leave that there. So uh but again we're just doing we're doing this because we love it, but We'd also like to hear from you and like to hear, you know, if we're, if there's something else you'd like us to be covering on the show, if we're, if there are movies that we've missed, if there's a type of movie you'd like to see that we haven't really covered yet, let us know. If there's things that we're doing that you love, let us know. If there's things that we're doing that you don't love, 
yeah, I guess you can still let us know. That's fine. Um, but, uh, you know, we Pat's very, very sensitive, so we may I may hide some of that from him. Yeah. I mean, he tends to cry a lot. Mm-hmm. So, mm -hmm. speaking of Pat, you've already heard him, but this is my co-host Pat for the evening. Um, all the other gentlemen had other things going on, so they weren't able to meet up with us tonight to do our recording. So I do have with me my co-host Pat Cantagallo. Welcome, Pat. Hey, hey. Um, first off, before we get started on this one, have you heard anything from any other movies lately? Any other news from new stuff coming out? Yeah, well, you usually have a little bit more, you know, closer to the pipeline than than I am. But uh, not really. I've just been trying to catch up on all the latest trailers for, you know, the, the next round of superhero movies. And that's pretty much the only thing I've really been um, paying attention to. Yeah. It's just, you know, the super. My folks uh, actually went and saw that, that movie about um, their finest hours. Oh, okay. Then they said that that movie was amazing. Was actually, it? and I talked to some friends that said that movie was pretty amazing, too. So, okay. That's not a movie that's coming out, but I heard that that one was pretty, right. pretty great. Right. Okay. Yeah, the, we were watching, I was watching something the other night. Well, because they had a big um, Disney celebration. What was it called, like Disney 60 or something like that? And they were releasing a whole bunch of information on upcoming movies and the theme parks. I guess they showed off. I didn't get to see it. But I guess Harrison Ford introduced what some of the Disney Star Wars theme parks are going to look like. Really? So I need to go watch that at some point and then plan our upcoming Disney, van, D Disney vacation because of that. Now, star, you're saying Star Wars theme parks, like there's going to be a Star Wars world. Like they're taking part of Disney World, and I'm okay. assuming the Disneylands as well, and they're making a pretty big portion of that Star Wars. Okay, so, I mean, I... Like I, there's going to be, if you want to go eat or have a drink in the replica cantina, they're going to have an area that looks just like the cantina from Star Wars. Um, they'll have rides. You know how, have you been to Disney World before? Yeah. Yeah, you know how they, they have the, the, like the Star Wars area. Yeah. And they've got the Star Tours ride and the yeah. all that other stuff. They're going to kind of take that and make an entire section of the park just Star Wars. Okay. So cool. that's I'm I'm kind of waiting. I always talk to the kids about you know someday when you're just a little bit older we'll go to Disney World because it's expensive. And then as soon as they said they were going to make a Star Wars type park, I said, well, we may just wait just a tiny bit longer. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's got to be. It it is expensive, so we'll wait till that part's ready and then we'll go enjoy that. Some of my um. Some of, some of our good friends went down there and took their, their kids down there. And their kids are like our kids' age and everything. Yeah. And he came back and he was talking about it. And he's like, yeah, this is awesome. And, you know, he was describing everything that was there. And um, I just remember that Star Wars area, you know, the big AT-AT walker. That's easy for uh, you to say. Yeah, yeah, I thought so. And I just remember that thing just being so huge and kind of like looking down at you. Yeah. Anyways, he said that there's this whole Jedi Academy where, you know, you yeah. train, and then at the very end, Darth Vader with the lightsaber, and then Darth Vader comes in, and you get to fight him. Yeah. And the way he was describing it, he didn't specify that it was for kids. So I was actually all fired up, <laughs> and I was like, really? So you get to train with a lightsaber? Wow. And then Darth Vader comes, and, and I was like all fired up. And I said, so can the kids do this too? And he says, well, yeah, it's for kids. It's, it's actually like, for the kids. kid. <laughs> it's for the kids. Like, you know, 10 and under can do it. And I mm -hmm. said, you mean adults can? Oh, I was... I was honestly, I was a little bit bummed. What, I mean, what would have been funnier is, is had you gone there and walked out on stage not knowing it was just for kids, and then like Darth Vader's out there, a little tall for a stormtrooper, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. That's that would have that would have been bad, man. That would have mm -hmm. been bad. But uh, yeah, that's that's exciting about Star Wars theme parks. You would have been the yeah. tallest Padawan they've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right, man. Um, yeah, I don't know that there was any other 
movie news lately. I mean, the, that Deadpool movie. I haven't had a chance to go see it yet. I, I did want to see it, but I haven't had a chance to see it yet. It's it's doing crazy things. Is it, is it like Wicked Awesome? It's making an insane amount of money. And everybody was surprised because it's rated R. Surprised that it was rated R? Or no, they're, they're surprised that it's making as much money as it is. Um, being rated R and being a character that a lot of people had not heard of up to this point. They kind of figured that comic book fans would go see this. Mm -hmm. But it's made, in its first weekend, I want to say it made, It's uh, has it been a week yet that it's been out? I think it's been a week that it's been out. And it's made something like $280 million in its first week. Is that like Star Wars numbers? Um, I don't think it's Star Wars numbers, but it's, I mean, it's up there. It, well, the th the figure I heard was that in its first weekend or its first week, it made more money than the last Wolverine movie made, I think, in its entire run. Really? Yeah. So it, it whatever, it's, it's doing crazy money, and, and people seem to love it, and they immediately, I think maybe even before it came out, they were already talking about a, a sequel. So it's huh. it's doing crazy, crazy business. 83% on Rotten Tomatoes. Is that what they have it ranked as? I didn't have a chance to look yet. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I want to go see it. I haven't I haven't had a chance to to go see it yet, but um, you know, it, it looked like it'd be funny. Obviously, it's it's not for kids. And what some people are worried about, and we've talked about this a few times on this show, um, you know, because we have kids and we're teachers, so we deal with adolescents sometimes watching movies they probably shouldn't go watch. What some people are worried about is that because an R-rated comic book movie did so well that Hollywood is going to say, oh, look at that. Well, we should make more of them R-rated, and we should make it more, um, you know, more profanity and more obscene jokes and more violence. And so some people, I guess, are a little worried about it, saying if the Hollywood executives see that this movie did that well, that they may take upcoming comic book movies and say, well, let's add more of that stuff to X-Men, or let's add more of that stuff to these other movies, because that's what people want to see. Yeah. So. Yeah, that would be that would be unfortunate. That would be unfortunate. It'd be unfortunate to see the bubble burst. And I mean, I, like I said, I mean, I, I'm the last person to be offended by foul language, and I'm the last person to be offended by violence in movies. But you know, I don't know. I, I'll, I, I, I'm going to reserve my judgment and see how far over the top they go. Because I mean, right. it's what they're packing in the PG-13 movies already is so close to R-rated violence that... Right. I mean, they're kind of pushing the limit there anyway, so... Yeah, and, and I always... I mean, I tend to look at these things holistically and just kind of go with a, okay, that feels like an R-rated movie. That feels like... it, But it seems like there's specific things. Like, you know, when we... we these, some of these movies that we do here, oh, this movie would have been rated R if they would have kept the this scene or that scene or this one part. This is, this, is, this is the reason that this movie was made rated R. And I tend to look at it and say... Okay, well, how about the gratuitous amounts of people getting blown away? And right. how about, you know, I mean, we were talking about that movie Arrow. That's a TV show. Right. And I got to be honest, some of the stuff happening in there, I, I can't quite say that that's not what you wouldn't see in an R-rated movie. Right. So you know, and, and naturally you're going to have, when you've got a superhero that uses arrows instead of his fists, you're going to have a little bit more violence. And right. that's not exactly a stunning weapon. Yeah. So, I, yeah. It'll it'll be interesting to see, yeah. You know, what exactly gave this thing an R rate, R rated, so yeah. 
The other one, we actually watched the trailer the other night, and it's uh, Sharon really likes the movie, and I remember really liking it as a kid. Have you seen the trailer for the new, or did you ever see the original Pete's Dragon? You know what? Maybe, and if I did see it, then, you know, it was a long time ago. Yeah, it was the one with the live action people. I forget what year it was. It might have been 1980 or even earlier than that. Um, I'll try to look it up real fast. But it was the one that had the cartoon. It was a Disney movie, and it had the cartoon dragon, um, but the live action people. Actually came out, I think it came out the same year as Star Wars, 1977. I think I've seen that, yeah. Yeah, an orphan boy and his magical dragon. Let's see. Orphan boy and his magical dragon come to town with his abusive adoptive parents in pursuit. Okay. I I think I have seen that. There's like a whole scene with a... Uh, what was it? They're in a, a lighthouse and they've got to get the light going back on and so they're trying to get the dragon to blow fire into the... Yeah. The lighthouse to get the lighthouse turned back on. Yeah. And actually, a couple of the people that were in, or at least uh, Shelly Winters, who was in this movie in um, uh, Delta Force, was also in uh, Pete's Dragon. Okay. And there's a few other people, too, like some fairly well known people. Uh, Helen Reddy was a singer. Uh, Mickey Rooney was in there. Red Buttons. Uh, a whole bunch of other people. But yeah, it was, um, you know, I think it did pretty well. It was nominated for two Oscars. Um, and it has on, I'm looking on IMDb, um, it is a 6.3 out of 10 rating. So I think it's out of 15, that's 15,000 people that have rated it. So, yeah, but I remember watching it and liking it, but this one does not look anything like, uh, it's got Robert Redford, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, the woman who was in Jurassic world. Okay. Um, I don't recognize the kid, but it's. The dragon is, it's all very CG and much bigger than it was in the original movie. And it looks, okay. it actually, when the movie starts off, it almost, I thought it was going to be a trailer for, uh, what's the new one? Jungle Book that's coming out. Because okay. it's that one looks pretty interesting too. long haired kid running around in the forest by himself. And all of a sudden you find out that that's supposed to be the orphan that the dragon has befriended. Oh. So I don't know, it looked a little weird and I don't know. I don't know how it's going to be compared to the one that we used to watch when we were kids. Yeah. So we'll have to see when it comes out. Yeah, like anything. Yeah. All right. Well, are you ready to use the Force? Dude, I am ready. All right. Well, let's use the Force. Let's talk a little bit about Delta Force. I think it's time. All righty. Uh, Delta Force, the, the movie is Delta Force. It came out. This, I think, is the perfect Valentine's movie. I think it's a great love story. Um, it came out on February 14th, 1986. So if anybody's listening to this, and back in 1986, you actually took a Valentine's date to go see this movie, please email us. We are 30podcast at gmail.com. That's 30podcast at gmail.com. We've also got the voicemail line. I'll give you all those other numbers towards the end. This came out Valentine's Day, 1986. If you took a date to go see this movie in 1986 and you're listening to this podcast, please email us because we would love to hear the story and we'd love to hear if you stayed together after that. Yeah. Because I'm very curious. <laughs> we are all curious. How did that turn out, man? How did mm -hmm. that turn out? This one was rated R for obvious reasons. There's quite a bit of violence. Uh, the director of this one was Menachem Golan. And I've got a whole story behind Golan and, and Globus. There's a, a whole story behind their movie studio, Canon Films, 
that was uh, in charge of this movie, but we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, Menachem Golan, who died in 2014, uh, he directed the movie The Apple, um, which I, I would love to try to explain at some point, but um, we'll wait a little bit and I'll, I'll see if I can look up the description for that because I can't, if I tried to do it in my own words, I wouldn't be able to do it justice. It is, what I understand of that movie is, is it's very messed up. So uh, he also directed Over the Top, the classic arm wrestling movie. Maybe the only arm wrestling movie. I can't think of any others. Uh, the producers for this one were his friend uh, Yoram Globus and, and Menachem Golan. And so Golan and Globus, who uh, started off in Israel together, they had their company, Golan Globus Films, and they ended up in the 80s coming and buying uh, Canon Films and kind of taking that over and turning it into like this powerhouse studio that just shoveled out these B-movies left and right. Um, they were kind of known for making you know, five to ten times as many movies as anybody else. So if you look at these guys' credits through all the movies they did throughout the 80s, most directors, most producers, you know, you're looking at over the course of a decade, they did maybe, maybe somewhere between 10, 40 movies, something like that. I mean, 40 if they were really raking them out like four a year. These guys were doing upwards of like 12 movies a year. They were absolutely insane. And that's why a lot of the movies were not all that great, but they are a lot of the movies. There are several movies that we will cover on this podcast because they're during the 80s and they're just kind of crazy. So these two guys together uh, produced several films. I will list off a few and you'll recognize some of them. Uh, Breakin', okay, see the breakdancing movie. Breakin' 2, Electric Boogaloo. Cobra, which we will be covering this year, Invaders from Mars, which we will be also covering this year, Superman 4, The Quest for Peace, and Masters of the Universe, among many other movies. Uh, they also did the Death Wish movies. If there was a movie in the 80s that had Chuck Norris or Charles Bronson, that was probably their movie. So that's what they did. The writers for this one were James Bruner, who did Invasion USA and Delta Force 2, The Columbian Connection. Uh, and Menachem Golan, who also wrote The Apple and Delta Force 2, The Columbian Connection, among many other things. Music for this one, this kind of surprised me. I, I could hear it a little bit when I was listening to it, but it kind of surprised me because it just it seemed like it was the same thing repeated over and over and over again. Uh, it was Alan Silvestri who did the Back to the Future trilogy, Flight of the Navigator, Predator 1 and 2, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Forrest Gump, Captain America, The Avengers... Um, you know, a lot of that other music that just seems so awesome. And in this one, it's like, when you hear it for the first time, it's like, oh, that's kind of a cool theme. That's like a, it's almost like a Rocky theme. But then it's the same theme repeated throughout the entire two-hour movie. So I don't know how I feel about that. We can talk about that in a little bit. Budget for this one was $9 million And the box office, that's why this is such a patriotic movie. The box office for this one was $17.76 million, seventeen seventy-six. God bless America. I'm trying to think. Now, $9 million is a lot of money. Yeah. But as far as making movies, is $9 million a lot of money? Because it seems like no. all the other – and maybe we were just talking about modern movies. But, like, how much did a name another movie cost? And $9 million just seems to be a little bit of a drop in the bucket. That's what these guys were known for. Yeah, I was going to say. So as soon as you say that, that's like, holy Christmas, yeah. $9 million bucks. We'll um yeah let me let me read the cast and we'll we'll listen to the the trailer audio and then I'll we'll come back and I will after that we'll come back and I'll talk a little bit about Canon Films and kind of what they were what they were famous for. It explains why some of the movies that 
got made when we were kids sucked really bad. <laughs> but we'll we'll get there in just a second. So uh, Chuck Norris played Major Scott McCoy. He was also in The Way of the Dragon, Missing in Action, uh, in which he retroactively won the Vietnam War, uh, The Delta Force, uh, Walker, Texas Ranger, and The Expendables 2. Lee Marvin, who died in 1987, was Colonel Nick Alexander. Uh, actually, this was his last movie before he passed away. Uh, he was in M Squad, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, The Dirty Dozen, and The Big Red One. Martin Balsam died in 1996. He was Ben Kaplan. He was in 12 Angry Men, Psycho, Breakfast at Tiffany's, and Tora, Tora, Tora. Joey Bishop, the comedian, died in 2007. So a lot of people in this movie are dead. And it, a lot of people that didn't die in the movie are now dead. Because there were a lot of people in this movie that died. But these people all died later in real life. Uh, Joey Bishop played Harry Goldman. He was in the original Ocean's Eleven in 1960. And the host of the Joey Bishop show. Robert Forster. He's like Joy Bishop, the Rat Packer. Yeah, Rat Pack, yeah. Uh, Robert Forster, who we went last week from talking about a movie where you had uh, C. Thomas Howell in blackface, and this time we had Robert Forster in brownface playing Abdul. Nobody mentions that one. Um, He was in Jackie Brown, Mulholland Drive, Lucky Number Slevin, and he was also in the TV show Heroes. Uh, you have Lainey Kazan, who played Sylvia Goldman. She was in Beaches, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, and Pixels. George Kennedy was Father O'Malley. He was in Cool Hand Luke, The Naked Gun Trilogy, and the TV show Dallas. Hannah, I'm going to mess up this name, Hannah Shigula uh, played Ingrid. She was kind of like the, the head um, uh, flight attendant, the German flight attendant. Um, she was very no- well-known in German film. So she was a big German actress, so a lot of her movies we wouldn't necessarily be aware of, but uh, she was in some movies, one called Katzelmacher, another one called The Marriage of Maria Braun, another one called Dead Again. Bo Svensson, who played the airline captain Roger Campbell, was in the original Inglorious Bastards in 1978, Heartbreak Ridge, Kill Bill Volume 2, and the newer Inglorious Bastards. Shelley Winters, who died in 2006, played Edie Kaplan, uh, she was in A Place in the Sun, The Night of the Hunter, Lolita, Alfie, Diary of Anne Frank, and Pete Stragon. David Menachem was Mustafa. He was also in Iron Eagle and a movie called Night Terrors. And then a couple of people that were uncredited in this one, Kevin Dillon, the brother of Matt Dillon, uh, was a Delta Force member that was uncredited. He was in Platoon, The Doors, and the TV show Entourage. And Liam Neeson was a Delta Force member who was uncredited in the movie. I don't even probably need to list what he was in, but he was in Schindler's List, Star Wars Episode One, The Phantom Menace, Batman Begins, Taken, The Lego Movie, and pretty much every other action movie that's ever been made in the last 10 to 15 years. Critics for this one gave it a whopping 20%. The audience gave it a 49%. Um, I forgot to look up. I meant to go look up and see how Siskel felt about this movie. Ebert gave it three out of four stars. He liked this one, which I was a little surprised. I thought he was going to be a little harsher on it and... And not not give this one a good rating. So I'm, and, and we've talked about this before. Like movies that we're like, what is going on there? These people give high ratings to, and movies are like, this is awesome. We look at it and they give it like, you know, a quarter of a star. Yeah. I, you get like I one. Know. You get like one point of a star. I'm just gonna say I don't know how they can pan the three amigos and give this three out of four. Well, I'm. I'm gonna repeat what I've said before. That's why those guys are dead. <laughs> yeah, right. If they had given better ratings to some of these movies, they might still be alive. Yeah, I just I I'm I, just kidding. I, I love you, Roger. I love you, Gene. 
I love them all. Yeah. I just don't get it. Hey, man, but that's why they make the big bucks. Or yeah. made the well, big bucks. They, they made more than we did, so. Um, the only awards for this movie, and I thought this was kind of an interesting one, too. The only award for this movie was a nomination for Natalie Roth, uh, played the little girl, Ellen Levine. She was nominated for a Young Artist Award in 1987 for exceptional performance by a young actress in a supporting role in a feature film, comedy, fantasy, or drama. Now, I don't... Maybe who nominated her watched a different movie that she was in, because I don't know that I would have nominated based on, based on her performance in this movie, but... Hey, that that's okay. I, what do we know, anyway? I, yeah, I, I'm... Speechless. Yeah. I'm just going to sit over here and be speechless on my corner of the podcast. Here. Okay, that'll work well in an audio medium. I think that's, that's it. All right. Well, we'll give you a quick summary of the movie, then we'll play the audio, tr the audio of the trailer, and then we will come right back after that, and I'll try to explain the weird, weird mess that was Canon Films, and then we'll get into a little bit about this one. Um, an American airliner on its way from Athens to Rome, then New York City, is hijacked by Lebanese terrorists, because what other kind is there, and redirected to Beirut. Unbeknownst to the terrorists, Chuck Norris and Lee Marvin have been called in, not, not their characters, actually Chuck Norris and Lee Marvin, have been called in with their team of Delta Force operatives to retake the plane and rescue the hostages. So let's take a little listen to the Delta Force movie trailer, and then we'll be back right after that. doesn't care who they hurt, not how young, how innocent, how helpless. Collect all passports. Why? Strangers. They're making a mistake. United by the threat of death. There's only two of them, and there's so many of us. Find the courage. You take one of us, you gotta take us all. To defy their captors. I won't do it! It's a new age of terror that requires a new breed of warrior. One minute to showtime. We're members of Delta Force and we're here to take you home. America's elite anti-terrorist commandos. Committed to destroy the enemies of freedom. Because the stakes are more than pride. Sleep tight, sucker. More than honor. More than justice. American, I want to negotiate. Do you hear me, American? Loud and clear. Because they're fighting to save American lives. The Delta Force, starring Chuck Norris and Lee Marvin. America's new heroes. The Delta Force. All right. So while that was playing, I was trying to think of how I'm going to explain this movie studio, Canon Films, and I still haven't come up with it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to jump over to their uh, Wikipedia page and just read some of the stuff on here about Canon Films. Now, if you want to know more about this movie studio and help explain the gaggle of movies that came out in the 80s that were almost exactly like this movie, like lots of lots of action, somehow miraculously very famous people. Um, 
but really horribly written movies and and like why why I feel like the 80s is so filled with like these B movies that came out and we'll see a lot of them as we go through the next few years and you will have seen a lot more if we had covered them like early on in the 80s this studio was just insane like these guys started off in Israel well I'll I'll read some of the stuff off the wikipedia page here um they had they had kind of at the very beginning uh, they were an american company canon and you know they were mostly kind of low budget films uh not a whole lot going on and then in the like around 1979 uh 1980 um that's when these two guys from israel menachem golan and Yoram Globus um, came over and decided that they like they loved movies. Growing up as kids, they absolutely loved movies. Um, and I'm I'm saying all this. There's a, a documentary on Netflix right now. This is where I found out about a lot of this. Um, there's a documentary on Netflix. Don't watch it with the kids around because there's you know there's a little bit of nudity and the people who are talking about the company use a lot of uh, descriptive language. Um, as Spock would say in Star Trek Four, a lot of colorful idioms. Um, so, but it's a really interesting documentary. Uh, it's called, um, oh gosh, what was it? It was called Electric Boogaloo. Like they took one of the, the titles of the films. It's called Electric Boogaloo, um, The Wild Untold Story of Canon Films. Um, came out in 2014, and um, it kind of tries to explain what happened with this studio. Like it's, uh, arrival in 1980, 1979, 1980, and then just the huge, I have no other word for it, the, the crap ton of movies that they let loose on Hollywood over the course of the 80s, um, and how most of those were not of any kind of good quality at all. So what they did, um, kind of their business model, was to buy the cheapest scripts they would find, or sometimes not have scripts at all, and I guess they would go to... They they just wanted to make movies. They almost didn't care about how good the movie was. They just wanted, they loved the act of making movies. So a lot of times, apparently what they would do is they would go to trade shows and they would go to these, um, you know, these festivals and things like that. And they would meet up with these distributors and they would say, oh, we've got this, this great movie that we want to sell to you. And the guy's like, okay, well, tell us about these movies. And he would just make stuff up on the spot. Or he would have, like, before he'd go to these shows, he would he would go to, like, their PR department, and he'd be like, make me a poster that has Sylvester Stallone um, on the front, and we're going to call the movie Over the Top. And they're like, okay, what's the movie about? No, to, to just put Sylvester Stallone on the front, make make him have big muscles, and, and then put the title Over the Top on the bottom of it. And they're like, okay. And then I'm, I'm not... I don't know if that's what they did for Over the Top. I'm just using that kind of as an example. Then he'd go to these shows and show them the poster. It's like, yeah, we got Sylvester Stallone, and he's going to do this movie. And they're like, well, what's it about? It It's about, okay, so it's about this guy, and he's a trucker, and he's, like, really good at um, arm wrestling. And he's got this move that he, like, moves his hand over the top of the other guy's hand and 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 then that's how like that's his signature move that he ends up winning all the time with and and they would just make stories up as they went along they had no script at all so then after these shows when they had sold the distribute the distribution rights to these movies they would then go back and they would be like okay we need to now make this movie because we told them we have a movie with Sylvester Stallone or we have a movie with Charles Bronson so sit down and write up a script you've got six days and the writers would be like 
what? They're like, yeah, just make something up. Like, what did you, well, what did you tell them the movie was about? Well, I, I think I told them this, this, and this. So throw that in the script, and that's what we'll give them. So, yeah. Um, and that's, yeah. And that's uh, how movies are made. Right, and that's how movies are made, especially by these guys. Um, so a, a kind of a quick list of some of the ones that they did. Uh, the Death Wish movies, uh, Death Wish sequels. I don't think they did the first one. Um, one At one point in time, one of the jokes, or it's not really a joke, they actually did this, but one of the things they mentioned in that documentary was at one point in time when they had signed Chuck Norris and Charles Bronson, they used to take scripts and they would make two piles, and they were both the piles for the different Chucks. Mm-hmm. And they would they would pull out scripts and they'd be like this script for this movie and he's like Chuck Norris, it's like this script for this movie uh, Chuck Bronson, okay what about this one Chuck Norris Chuck Bronson Chuck and they would just pick which Chuck it was going to go to. So that's why I think that's why Chuck Norris was such a big figure in a lot of these movies because and most other movie studios you know Chuck Norris is not an actor, he's not a great actor so most other studios are not going to give him a chance. I think this is the only reason why. Somebody like him was able to be in so many movies during the 80s. Um, They did, let's see, Delta Force, obviously the Delta Force sequels, uh, Invasion USA, uh, Exterminator 2, Break-In, Break-In 2, Electric Boogaloo, uh, Last American Virgin, um, what else did they do, Hercules, um, what else? King Solomon's Mines, Cobra, American Ninja, Missing in Action. Um, what else? Missing in Action 2, a lot of different sequels. And then ultimately, they ended up doing... Um, oh, they tried to buy the rights to a whole bunch of different like comic books and, and other stuff. Um, they had bought the rights to He-Man. They had bought the rights to... Um, well, they, they ended up getting the rights to Superman, so they made Superman 4. And that kind of, when you watch, I think Superman 4 in particular, a lot of people will cite that one as being a, a really good example of how they made movies. If you, have you watched Superman 4 recently? Not recently, no. Okay. If you go back and watch that, it's a really horribly put together movie. Mm-hmm. Like there are scenes, you can tell that they, they maybe shot one scene of Superman flying through the air. And every time Superman flies through the air, they reuse the exact same scene. And it's blatantly obvious. Yeah. And so that was just kind of their thing. They were all about saving money. Um, they were all about... And so that's why, even though I have a little bit of a criticism on the music in this one, I'm like, it's Alan Silvestri, and I like so much of his other music, but it just sounds like the same thing over and over and over again. I would almost take a guess and say they probably had him write, like, one piece of music, and they're like, it's good, just use it through the whole thing. That would be my guess, knowing what I've found out about these guys. Yeah, or, I mean, it could be, I mean... The thing is, too, you know, we uh, we tend to look at, you know, and I, I'm going to kind of borrow Jeff's point when he was talking about James Earl Jones and um, Soul Man. We tend to look at Alan Silvestri as, man, this is Alan Silvestri. Look at all the stuff he's done. He's a great, right. you know, he can write his own ticket. Back in the day, he might have just been like trying to make money and he'll write for, what? Oh, you want me to write a commercial? I write a commercial. You want me to write this you know, weird one-off movie. You want me to do indie projects? You want me, you know, I, you know, I'll do whatever. And he might've gotten hired to do this and then seen it for, he, it could have been, he saw it for what it was worth. And it was like, yeah, okay. That this isn't what. Oh, totally. This this one could have just been a paycheck. 
Yeah, and it could have been just like, okay, here's the theme, bam, done. Yeah. How much? Great. Okay. Because I, I look at that and I'm like, the year before this, he did Back to the Future. Yeah. And I love the Back to the Future score. I mean, that I, I can listen to that over and over and over again, and I'd be a happy camper. And then you get to this one, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the music. It just when the when the movie continues on for its two hour trek, um, it just it's the same theme that is run over and over oh, and over again. I know. Yeah, it's not even a complete theme. It's like just that one little right. But a new thing right. kind of it's 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 like one little motive, you know, which that just keeps repeating. which seems. Totally to me in watching the movie, and I haven't even got to like talking about the some of the background stuff and all that, but on this music thing, I'm watching the movie, and as I'm watching the movie, I'm going, you know what? This this music does not fit what's happening on screen. No, no, it doesn't. I'm like, you've got the car chases and you've got things that should be like tension filled and dramatic. And I'm listening to this music going, This feels like it's the music that you listen to when Rocky's running through the streets of Philadelphia. Like it's, it sounds like it's meant to be inspiring, but I feel like right now with these car chases and the explosions that there should be tension. So I don't feel like the, what the, what the mood of the music is evoking is what is happening on screen. So I, and I, I kind of consciously notice that. And most times I don't feel like I do notice that, but that kind of took me out of those chase scenes a little bit. I'm like, this, this movie is, this music's a little too upbeat for a, a chase scene with terrorists and. All right. Well, I got a little bit of background on this one. Uh, the beginning of the movie. So this this movie, the events of this movie are based on several different, very loosely based on several different historical events. Um, the beginning of the movie is supposed to be based on Operation Eagle Claw, which was the failed attempt to rescue 52 American hostages at the U.S. Embassy in Tehran in April 1980. The rest of the movie is loosely based on the hijacking of TWA Flight 847 in June of 1985. The hostage rescue and the siege at the Beirut airport at the end of the movie were based on the 1976 Israeli Defense Force Operation Entebbe, which took place in Uganda. Um, all scenes in the movie were shot in Israel. Um, the airport scenes for Athens, Beirut, Algiers, and Tel Aviv were all filmed at Ben Gurion International Airport in Israel. Um, much like Iron Eagle, Planes used in the film were on loan from Israel due to, this, due to the same restrictions uh, that the U.S. Air Force placed on Iron Eagle. They said, we're not going to have anything to do with a movie in which it shows the hijacking or theft of uh, an aircraft. So we will not loan you any planes. We will not let you purchase any. We're not going to have anything to do with you. Uh, the music, we're talking about the music, that music would ultimately be used uh, by ABC Sports as their intro music for their Indianapolis 500 and Brickyard 400 broadcasts from, I think it was 1989 until, like, late 90s, maybe? I think that's what it was. Do you, I mean, you're a car guy, so do you remember hearing that music when it would, when the Indianapolis 500 would come on? I, I seem to remember that, or something very similar to it, or, you know, I'll go back and watch, like, a little retro video or something, and I'll remember, I'll remember this, uh, I'll remember that music, um, you know, I can't be like, oh, it's that theme. But, I, like, it just sounds like something that you would, that you just quickly play for a little, you know, lead into, and we're back, and we're on lap 20, right. and, you know, here we go, like, kind of thing. And he's making a left turn. And he's making another left turn. 
Inside. 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 Oh, wait. He's turning left again. All right. Well, that's been two laps of NASCAR. We'll be back after this. I'm just teasing. We used to watch NASCAR a lot, so. There it is. I'm just, that's that's the how the layman makes fun of car racing. There it is. There it is. It's a bunch of left turns. All right. Uh, let's see. Originally, Charles Bronson was supposed to play Lee Marvin's role, so that would have been confusing, having the two Charles in this movie. Uh, which Charles would have been in charge? I don't know. That's hard to say. I don't know. Uh, so originally he was going to play Lee Marvin's role, uh, and they had already made up, as I said before, they made up the posters ahead of time, probably before they even wrote the script. Um, they had to redo the original movie posters because it had Chuck Norris and Charles Bronson together. Uh, Eric Norris, a NASCAR driver, and Chuck Norris's son, is one of the U.S. Navy divers that's taken hostage at the beginning of the movie, those three guys that are wearing their Hawaiian shirts. Mm -hmm. uh, one of those is supposed to be uh, Chuck Norris's son. Um, and apparently, this is I read some of this somewhere on a, an article that was very critical of this movie, the real-life airline crew of the uh, TWA 847 that was taken hostage were a little more heroic than their movie counterparts. Um, the head flight attendant in this one, when she's asked to take the passports and to pick out who the Jewish names are, and she says she won't do it because she's German, and that that would kind of, like, yeah. it's against her, against her philosophy, and um, apparently, even though she goes ahead and does it anyway. Um, apparently, the real-life flight attendant, um, her name was... I had this written down somewhere. Um, well, maybe I didn't. I thought I had it written down somewhere. Um, but the real-life flight attendant, she took the passports, and she either hid them or she tore them up or something, and so saved some time and didn't allow the terrorists to find them. Um, so she actually saved some people's lives by stalling and and uh, making it so that they couldn't find out who, who some of the Jewish people were on the flight. Um, and apparently the pilot uh, was also, he did a little bit more stalling uh, and trying to save lives than the pilot in this movie did. I think mostly it seemed like the pilot in this movie just slept in the cockpit and sweated. Right. So... Um, all right, so to start off with, I mean, we've been talking for a while now, but um, to get our discussion going, what were some of the things that you liked about this? We'll start with likes first. So likes, like a favorite scene, favorite quote. What did you like about this movie? Um, well, okay, I'm just going to say, as far as what did I like about this movie, anything with the motorcycle. I mean, all the well, bike stuff. I kind of figured that. Yeah, as, as cheesy as the rockets launching off the motorcycle, which I want to get machine guns and rockets on my motorcycle. I'm just saying that would be pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I, I think those were probably my my the, the parts about you know the parts of the movie that I loved. Um, and I, you know, to get a little bit wider in scope, I I am pretty fascinated with the Delta Force. I mean, the real life as much as you can find out about Delta Force and that. And so I think um, the idea of a movie about it is pretty cool, um, especially, you know, some of the things that they did try and base this on um, are real life incidents. And I, I, I find that fascinating. Um, but again, this really in other than a, a passing, a passing uh, nod to, you know, historical incidents that this thing, this movie featured this bears a little resemblance to what the Delta Force is in real life. So, I mean, I, you know. Really? Like I said. Yeah, really, really. I'm and shocked. So I, I can't say that, you know, 
the, the way they executed the movie was, you know, I really like that. But the overall, the general concept, you know, doing something about Delta Force, I find fascinating. As yeah. far as the movie specifically, I like the motorcycle stuff. Okay. Did you have a, I mean, other than motorcycle stuff, did you have a favorite scene? Um, you know, I think it was probably when he was on the bike pulling all the wheelies, you know, maybe when the, when the two Jeeps were trying to run the plane off the, uh, trying to run the plane off the, um, on the, off the runway mm -hmm. and he comes up and like wheelies in between them and then, you know, shoots the guy, the machine gunners off with the guns and then blows them all up with the rockets out the back of the motorcycle. That probably was my, my favorite scene. Okay. Um, you know, I actually enjoyed the other scenes were just kind of so ridiculously bad that you had to enjoy them. Right. You know? So, but I, I, I'd say, yeah, that would be my, my favorite scene. And then, you know, the stuff I liked about the movie. Okay. Did you have a favorite quote? Well, you know, it's got to be the, it's, it's got to be the, uh, the one that, you know, I don't want to steal your thunder, but you know, uh, sleep tight suckers. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's got to be the, that's got to be the. And then we already said before we started recording, we're like, that's what we're going to say to our kids the next time we put them in bed. <laughs> yeah. Sleep tight exactly sucker. Right. Uh so anyways, yeah, I, I'd say that would be my favorite quote, unless anything else, you know, deliciously bad comes up. It's mm -hmm. just like, oh, well, man, there's not I, I feel like there's not a whole lot that's quotable until you get to the second half of the movie. Right. And then once they let Chuck Norris, Chuck, uh, Chuck Norris off his leash um, yeah. and, and he can go do his one man army thing, then you start to get to, like the little one liners and the, um, you know, and we were talking well, let me do let me do our, uh, my likes first before we get into dislikes or criticisms or okay. things like that. We were talking earlier that we thought this movie was a tad too long. Um, yeah. But we'll we'll talk about that in a second. Um, so my likes, um, I I thought this movie was fun. You know, I if I was going to compare it to something like Iron Eagle, which is a very similar movie, just in the air instead of on motorcycles, um, I definitely like this one more than Iron Eagle. Um, this is just one of those movies that you know you you gotta, and this is probably what my you know, my one sentence summary that we'll give it at the end. Um, this is probably what mine will be. Switch off your brain, and just, if you want to watch stuff blow up, if you've had a tough day at work and you want to watch stuff blow up, go watch this movie. And I, I don't go for don't go for the story. Don't even necessarily go for characters and things like that. Just if you want to see if you want to see stuff blow up, go watch this movie. Right. Uh, favorite scenes. Let's see. Um, I, it, probably the scenes where I where I was having the most fun with it is the exact same stuff you brought up. It's like every time... Now, see, I saw the rockets on the front of the motorcycle. The moment he comes flying through the air and a rocket flies out the back of the motorcycle, yeah. then then I'm just sitting there going, okay, did not... Well, and the villains didn't either, but did not see that one coming. <laughs> yeah. He's flying through the air and all of a sudden something flies yeah. out the back and a huge explosion. I'm like, okay, that's... I thought it was kind of a cool motorcycle before and... But uh, yeah, now now cooler. that there's now that there's rockets that fly out the back, that's even cooler. Yeah, and the fact that he pulled that move twice—I think there was twice that he like flew through the air and fired something out the back of the motorcycle to to blow something and up. Hit, and and was able to target those guys dead eye. I mean, there was right. no missing. It was just you know. Right, and the, and the whole scene where he's trying to—he's riding the motorcycle through all the jeeps and everything else. Never scratched once. I mean, he's a, he is Chuck Norris, but um, right. to get to the airplane so that he can grab onto the rope and climb on in. 
I thought that was, you know, but but you get to see from the very beginning of the movie that Chuck Norris is the one guy that will run into danger as opposed to running away from danger. So Right. Well, it's it's like that's those his kids, character, you know, like the, the all the Chuck Norris quotes and all that. The, the, you know, it was fun to kind of watch a movie that really built that uh, that helped build that tradition. I was I was going to ask that I, I didn't uh, so questions I sent ahead of time for you guys to look at. I didn't include that in there, but I, I was going to ask, what is your favorite Chuck Norris ism? Oh, man. Um, when the boogeyman goes to bed, he checks under, when the big man goes to sleep, he looks under his bed for Chuck Norris. Nice. You know, um, I think one of my favorites is, um, Chuck Norris doesn't have to read books. He just stares at them until they give him the information he needs. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Those, I mean, and you know, and those things, I mean, we all laugh insanely at them, but, you know, this is fun because, you know, you're actually seeing a movie that helped build those to build that, you know, right? belief and, or not belief, but build that, you know. Yeah, that he's this larger than life hero that will never, you right. know, never get scratched, never. It's a little bit like Commando. Yeah, exactly. All right. Um, okay, so let's see. Favorite scene. Oh, I think I've already said my favorite scene. Favorite quote was probably also the sleep tight sucker when he gets the one yeah. gets the one guy that's hiding under the bed. The other one that I thought, I, I, I don't know why I chuckled, but um, when the pilots are saying, when it's nighttime and the pilots are saying, hey, don't we, don't we get some beds in here? And the guy walks through and he goes, you don't need beds. You're going to die tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Like, all right. It's a really corny line, but I'll, I'll take it. It was, it was decent. Yeah. I'll take that one. Okay. Did you give your favorite scene, like specific scene? I, I think favorite scene was the stuff with the motorcycle. Okay. You know, as he's flying okay. through the air and shooting missiles out the back of the motorcycle. And Okay, so here's my here's my sick and sadistic favorite scene. Yeah, it's go for like, it. Okay, so they, they, they hold the one um, Navy diver up in the, the – the one that they had beaten. Yeah. They hold him up in the um, – window of the plane and then they you know toss him out and he falls and then the two hijackers the one that was like the, the assistant he flashes the peace sign as they're yeah. about to take off and it was like he flashed it with like the same ferocity as if he was giving him the bird yeah but he did the peace sign and i was it was like that's an odd gesture <laughs> i'm too used there mm-hmm. okay we just hijacked a plane we just blew this guy away peace peace you know, and I, I don't even know, <laughs> I don't even know how that fits in. <laughs> don't try to, don't try to make too much sense out of this. I know, but that that. If you try to, this is one of those movies. So anybody who has not seen this movie, this is one of those movies that if you try to think about it too hard, think about what happens to the Nazis at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. And their heads start to, their faces start to melt, and the one guy's head explodes. If you that try to think brain. too hard about this movie, that's what'll happen to you. Yeah, that 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 will be your brain. This is your. It's like the old '80s commercial. This is your brain. This is your brain. This um, is your brain on trying to make sense out of Delta yeah. Force. Yeah, it, yeah. So yeah, what about uh, what about dislikes? Um, the fact that it was two hours long. Yeah, it was too long. There was a lot of downtime. I mean, I would say that that's good for character development and plot mm-hmm. development, but nothing developed. Nothing developed. It was, it was just like they were spinning in neutral. Yeah. You know, when they would be sitting there and kind of like it, nothing was happening, it was just like they were twiddling their thumbs. Yeah. 
Well, and this, it seemed like it was two totally different movies. The first half of this movie, you had the whole hijacking part. And that part I thought was really interesting. The hijacking where the, the hijackers come on the plane and it's the two guys and they're, you know, their whole tactic on, you know, men go to the windows and, and women in the aisle seats. And, um, you know, and then they start going through the passports because they realize that there are, you know, Jewish people on the plane and they want to separate them out as well. And just the, the whole process that they go through of, of hijacking this plane. And I'm watching that part and I'm going, okay, well, this is kind of interesting. And then you've got the terrorists who, you know, he'll grab the Cabbage Patch doll for the little girl and he'll tell a story about his daughter. Or you've got the guy that gets the pillows for the pregnant woman. And I'm like, okay, this is really different. Like we're actually making the terrorists, you know, we're, we're humanizing them. Mm-hmm. And then that doesn't go anywhere because by the end of the movie, they're still just, you know, bodies to be shot up by Chuck Norris. Like so much. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which I, and I thought that was kind of interesting that with the way the movie started off, I'm like, Oh, well, okay. So the acting is bad in this movie and you know, it's, it, most of the scenes are horribly shot or horribly edited, but all the technical stuff aside, this is kind of interesting. Like they're, they're actually taking, and it was interesting to me that it was two Israeli directors that are making, making these supposedly Islamic terrorists humanizing them. And I'm like, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of bold. I mean, for, for 1986, that's, and especially it's only one year after the real life airline hijacking. Um, like that's, that's kind of an interesting take on this, but then the second half of the movie is just pure, you know, it's it's pure Red Dawn type stuff. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, you know, it was. Uh... So I have to say the the second half of the movie was less interesting to me, but maybe more fun. Yeah, and the I first guess... half was interesting. The second half was fun. And I guess the thing that I just I just got caught up in it was just it just felt like forever and yeah. nothing developed, you know? Right. And, and I mean, you know, some of the, uh, the, the cheesy acting and all that kind of got to me. Right. Um, we didn't have to, like Chuck Norris didn't have to pull a Dennis Matuch and be running late every time. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. No, notice how I got that in there. Hi Dennis. Yeah, that's right. I hope you're, hope I'm you're, sure, listening. I'm sure you're listening. Um, and I guess that the other thing that got me is, is the same thing that, it's kind of like the flip side of what I said at the beginning that I liked. I really liked that, you know, a movie being done about Delta Force. I thought that was cool. Yeah. But the problem was the way that they did it. It was just too tongue in cheek. Yeah. And just too zany. And I think that in some ways that can work. And then in some ways, I think that's just, you know, no, it doesn't really do a service to it. I mean, it's it's like, yeah, and and so that just turned me off. Yeah, did I explain my thought enough? I kind of ran oh yeah, no 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 no, that makes sense. Um, so there's a blog called War Is Boring, and it's featured on the website medium.com, which is just a place you can go to create blogs and you know just write whatever you feel like writing about. Um, but there's an article in there, and the author titled the article, "The Delta Force is a pornographic embarrassment of a movie. Shame on anyone who actually likes this exploitative piece of escape escapist crap." Okay, well, and so not too much, not too much gray area <laughs> in that one. You know, so you know, don't mince words. Tell us how you really feel. Um, so let me let me read to you a paragraph from what the author wrote, and we'll get your reaction on this. Um, the author wrote, "Face it." This is pornography. 
It's violence meant to evoke a strong emotional reaction, a lust for revenge, and a desire to rewrite history. It's the daydream of an adolescent who, while watching coverage of the actual event, thought it would be awesome if Chuck Norris could just go in there and blow everyone away. How do you feel about that? You know, in that sense, you know, the way he described it, it would be, you know, at the very end, that it's like an adolescent that says, oh, imagine if that's kind of, that's pretty, that seems kind of pretty accurate. You know, I mean, yeah. I think of that movie, um, uh, what's the one with Arnold? Oh, Last Action Hero. Yeah. Do you ever see Last Action Hero? Mm -hmm. And the kid's sitting in class reading Hamlet and he's really bored. He's like, oh, what happened if, you know, my favorite guy, you know, was in there and like was Hamlet. And right. then the next thing you know is Arnold Schwarzenegger is blowing everyone away in Hamlet. I mean, that's, that kind of sums this up, you know? Well, we kind of, we kind of talked about that when we talked back when we talked about Red Dawn um, mm -hmm. last year. And we said, you know, this is kind of, this is kind of the movie for teenagers who maybe haven't had the chance to go to war. You know, maybe they've heard their dads talk about Vietnam or maybe they've heard their uncles talk about Vietnam, you know, in the early 80s. Um, talking about the war that they got to fight in, and now you've got these teenagers who don't have a war necessarily, and it's this wish fulfillment of, well, hey, what if, what if the Russians invaded the United States? Like then we'd get our chance to fight. Then we get our chance to you know get revenge on these Russians, and and that was kind of the same type of, you know, I would imagine this writer would probably refer to that as violence pornography. Um, mm -hmm. But because when I read that, that was the first thing I thought of. It's like, well, that's kind of the take we had on, you know, maybe the demographic that Red Dawn was trying to reach. Yeah. And it just, it seems very, very similar. And I don't know that I disagree with the guy. I mean, it's, you know, it kind of is. It's just, it's yeah. flashy. It's visual. It's, you know, yeah. you're, you're supposed to yeah. fantasize about, oh, yeah, what would happen if... You know, if if we saw this event on TV, you know, take take something like, um, I don't know, nine eleven or or something like that, and you know, if we came out with a movie that said, well, all right, we're going to rewrite history and we're going to say what would have happened if, I don't know, pick somebody, um, what would have happened if, um, Gerard Butler. Well, I only picked that because he was in like the Olympus has fallen and London is falling. And, um, you know, what if Gerard Butler was there at the, in one of the airplanes that was headed towards the twin towers, you know, would it have, would it have changed everything? And let's see him beat up the, the terrorists before they could crash into the building. And, right. you know, it's that kind of thing. Right. And, and I mean, and that's okay. I just, you know, I watch it. Hey, I'm glad I saw it. I, I don't know that I'd watch it again if it was on maybe, I'd throw it on, but, but it's just like, okay, well, how come, you know, am I being hypocritical? Cause I love like commando so much. And you see, I right. think this one is too true to life. And as soon as it starts being like based on actual events mm -hmm. and Jeff and I were talking about this the other day, as soon as a movie says purports to be based on actual events or something, I immediately start holding it to another standard. Yeah. You know? And I think, and, and also in the, in the same guy's article, he went into that same thing. He's like, you know what? This came out a year after, um, a year after the actual hijacking happened. And there were people that were killed in the hijacking. So imagine that you're the families of the people who just lost somebody a year before. That would be like if somebody, you know, the, the fake 9-11 movie I just made up with Gerard Butler. That'd be like if that came out in 2002. 
Right. Or the example this guy gave, I think it was in his article or somebody else's, they said, what if in 2002 we made a movie in which The Rock goes to Afghanistan and just starts blowing up people in Afghanistan? Right. Would that, right. Would that have been okay? Yeah. And, and, and some people would know, say yes. Yeah. Some people would say, oh, absolutely, because... You know, that's our new enemy. And, and think about the movies that we, you know, we had where we're always fighting the Russians or we're fighting the, the Koreans or, I don't know, pick a group. Um, and I'm sure there's a demographic out there. I don't want to get political, but I think there's probably a demographic out there that would say, absolutely, let's, let's make a movie where we go get revenge on the people that attacked us. Right. Well, and, and I think it's just you, you, you do a war movie and you just need to not glorify it. I think, and that's what that this did is it glorified war, and I I think even even special operations, you know I I just you start making things that are based in reality or based on true events, and you just need to hold yourself to a higher standard. Yeah, uh, Commando didn't need to do that because it wasn't based over any specific events. No, and, just the kidnapping of his daughter, and that's not. You know, I mean, that's not an actual historical event. Right. And so it's kind of like, and he got her back in the end. Right. And that was okay. And, you know, and the difference was that movie was well made. It was tongue in cheek right. and it knew it was tongue in cheek. This didn't seem to know it was tongue in cheek. Right. Okay. You know, this is like one of those people that's really a funny person. They just don't know how funny they are. Right. And that's kind of how this movie was. It was just, whether by accident or by lack of caring on the part of the, you know, the Canon film group that you were talking about, it's just, there's just too much of it that's kind of slipshod. And well, at the end, at the end of the movie, we're passing out Budweiser's and singing America the Beautiful. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> and that, that part was a little weird. That just, just a tad. In, I mean, in the midst of you, you have that happening in the midst of him watching one of his team members die. Yeah. You know, all with that, right. you know, the, the hopeful. I'm like, what am what am I f- supposed to focus on here? I've got hopeful music. I've got America the Beautiful with a whole bunch of people drinking Budweiser, and I've got some guy dying on a makeshift hospital table, and they're trying to revive him on in the first class section of the airplane. I, I don't know what I'm supposed to feel here. Yeah. So and 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 this is. And I, I, I love like, America and death sucks. Yeah, and and like there I said, I, I can already feel that I'm talking myself into liking this movie less and less as I <laughs> as I'm talking, and and like I said, it just. It just, when it's based in reality and it's based on events that happen, whether it was hostage events or whether it was attempted rescues back then or whether it's just about actions of, you know, Delta Force operators. Yeah. You know, just, there's people around the world that are really doing it. You got to be a little bit more respectful. Right. Or you don't have to be a little bit more respectful, but I'm not going to really respect the movie. Right. You know, I, I just. Or or make it, just make it known that it's going to be that kind of movie. Yeah, or just, just not even tie it so close to reality. Right. I mean, you know, I mean, that's kind of the thing. Don't, like, don't use an actual, like, don't use details that are very similar, eerily similar yeah. to yeah. Actual, actual events from something that just happened a year before. Right. And in here, I'm going to draw a perfect example of, of kind of the, the counterpoint to what I'm saying the movie Cannonball Run came out mm-hmm. years before this. I think that was 81 or 82. Cannonball Run kind of was the same thing. Uh, Cannonball, there, there was a real Cannonball Run race, you know, set across America, and, and, and it was all that. 
But, you know, when they made the movie, they originally tried to make a serious movie about it. Well, then they got a hand on it and they made it campy and cheesy and Jackie Chan's in it. And, um, you know, all, you know, all sorts of silly things were going on and cars were, you know, jumping over trains and stuff. And it was like the movie was just ended up being like a caricature of what the road race, you know, the race was in real life. But I'm okay with it. I love watching a cannonball run. Why? Mm -hmm. Because the subject matter is an outlaw road race across the United States. This is kind of the same thing. It was meant to be a movie about the Delta Force. And whether these guys don't care about making serious movies or not, um, I even read that they had the, the, the guy that founded the Delta Force came in to kind of like be an advisor. And he left because he got so fed up with what they were doing. Yeah. And they ended up making this movie a caricature. The problem is you're making a caricature of servicemen and servicemen that are around the world trying to keep the country safe you know, rescue people that you got to tread lightly on. Right. That's, that's just, you know, that's kind of my big overarching dislike of it. Yeah. Um, kind of going along with the whole idea, the, the one guy referring to this movie as pornography or, or violence pornography. Um, there was another website that talked about Chuck Norris and mm -hmm. said that, um, uh, it's a movie review website called Agony Booth, and I've seen, I've read a few other articles on other movies from them. They referred to Chuck Norris as, quote, a conservative wish fulfillment fantasy, a clean-mouthed, God-fearing, patriotic badass, kicking commie butt with awesome martial arts moves. And they say that's the only possible explanation for his popularity, really, because even by action star standards, Norris is a pretty lousy actor. He barely emotes, he doesn't move or carry himself with any particular grace, and he's completely devoid of any kind of charisma or screen presence that could compensate for his lack of range. Again, so they don't like him as an actor. I'm, yeah, they don't. I'm, 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 that's my takeaway. Yeah. I like, I, you know, for, I don't know. For this type like of movie, if, if it's a B movie, you know, and, and I think they have to have known they were making a B movie that... Yeah. You know, it, it, it's blowing stuff up and it's just the pure excitement of just watching stuff blow up. Yeah. Because some days yeah, you I just don't... some days you just had that kind of day and you just want to watch stuff blow up. Yeah. And, and like I said, I can't fault it. They're making the movies that they want to make. It's up to people to go watch it and not. And if. Right. You know, if we really didn't want movies like this, then when it costs eight million to make the movie, you got to make sure that they only earn a million dollars in the box office and then they right. won't make more movies like this, but people are obviously going to see it and yeah, it's fine. And I'm not going to fault Chuck Norris. I mean, you know, he's making movies that he's making a buck or doing whatever. And I don't know, as far as the acting, it, it's kind of like, it gets in with like Arnold Schwarzenegger is, is Arnold Schwarzenegger in, you know, commando and all that, like a pretty phenomenal actor. Right. Well, not really, but not we really. just enjoy watching him on screen. Right. Chuck Norris, I mean, is he the next Steve McQueen? No. Is he the no. next Robert De Niro? No. But it's fun watching him on screen. He mm -hmm. does this. He does his thing well. And as much as he moves around and he's so serious and all that, I, I mean, that's kind of why we watch him. It, it helps right. him seem like more of a tough guy. You right. Know? You know, I, I'm not, I'm not going to go see an Arnold Schwarzenegger, although there have been a couple, apparently. I'm not going to go watch an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie for its dramatic appeal. Right. Supposedly, there was a movie he did either last year or a couple of years ago. Yeah, you um, talked about this one. That one, and I still haven't seen it yet. I need to go find it somewhere. Um, it was called Maggie. 
Mm-hmm. And I read some reviews on, some said it was bad, but I read some reviews online that said um, that it was actually a, a pretty good dramatic movie for him. Like the whole idea is he's a dad, They're, they've had a zombie apocalypse and uh, he's a dad that's trying to protect his daughter and I guess his daughter's infected. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know a whole lot more about the movie other than that, but um, I did read from several reviews that they were they were impressed with, like they were surprised at how good of a job they felt he did in a dramatic role. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm curious to go see that. But otherwise, you don't go see an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Like, I, I'm not going to go see an Arnold movie for, you know, expecting it's going to be an Oscar-nominated movie or anything like that. I'm much like this. I'm going to go see an Arnold movie because stuff blows up and it's got special effects and he's a robot or he's a barbarian or whatever. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, so it's okay to, you know, well, okay, then just say you don't like Chuck Norris. Right. I mean, that's that's kind of it. I talk about movies with my mom, and my mom will just sum this, you know, before she'll get into, like, lambasting a movie or just doing whatever, it, she'll just say, I don't think that movie was made for my demographic. Right. You know, and that's that's kind of what. Yeah, that's fine. I think, I've, I think I've said that on this podcast. You know, I think I said it during, I don't know, 16 Candles or whatever that right. thing was that, you know, what was that? I don't know. We did it a couple of weeks ago with Demi Moore and the thing, and they were all yeah fighting. about last night. Yeah, and I just I think I said it, that quote or a variation. I just don't think this movie's for my demographic. Right. I, I don't know. I'm not the target audience. You know, I if you don't like it, just just don't go see Chuck Norris movies. Right. You know, and I and like I said, this would be great. I think this movie was made for my demographic. Now, if they took about last night and had Chuck Norris helping solve their relationship problems, would you watch that? Does he get his motorcycle? Sure. Yes. Okay. There's a whole chase scene on Lower Wacker. Yeah, I'm, that's that's you know, I'm fine with that, man. Okay. I'm fine All right. Well, we will, we will redo. There's already been a remake of About Last Night, but we will um, we'll, we'll find a way to do a remake of a remake of About Last Night, and we'll we'll yeah. throw Chuck Norris in there. What are we on? Like the 18th remake of Spider-Man in the last year? I think we can. We could have Chuck Norris play Spider-Man. That's fine. That would be. I'd be okay with that. It's fine with me. All right. So what would be so let's let's boil this down to what would be our one sentence if somebody said, hey, I went to the I, I went to the store the other day and I found a copy of Delta Force uh, in the middle of the parking lot and the DVD was in pristine condition. Should I take it home and watch it? I don't know why I had to come up with that elaborate of a story, but that's that's how they found There's the movie. Only one movie, right? On this desert island mm-hmm. that you can watch. Yep, there was. I, I was stranded on this desert island, and magically, there was a generator that powered a TV, a TV, and a DVD player. And the only DVD was Delta Force. Should I watch it? Yeah, man, it's only two hours of your life. I mean, you know, two hours. Um, it should have been an hour and a half, but sure, it's only. Yeah. yeah I, so what's what's your what's your one sentence? Uh. If you like action movies, check it out, but don't expect too much. Okay. I, that's probably going to be mine, too. I, for my, my one sentence for this one would be, it's an interesting two movies that are split, that are like mashed up into one. The first half is interesting in its take on a hostage crisis. The second half is pure glorified violence yeah. and explosions, and that's it. I would be, this is beyond my one sentence, but... I would then be curious to see, probably not written by the same people, but I would be curious to see a movie that then takes the first half of that and continues it on 
to its inevitable conclusion. Like, not turn it into an action movie, but focus in on... Like, to me, that was the more interesting part of the first half was the the actual hijackers mm-hmm. and, like, what was going on with them. Because the moment he started to tell a story about his daughter yeah, um, as the terrorist, I'm like, well, that's... It's very different for a mid '80s B, B B movie action thriller type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be you know that would be my thing. As I would say, the first half of this movie is very interesting and has an interesting take on a hostage crisis. The second half is pure action, blow them up, Chuck Norris yeah. shooting missiles out of the tailpipe of his uh, motorcycle. Right. So. Yeah, right. I mean it would be, and you know, I mean, there's plenty of there's plenty of source material out there i mean you know you could show the attempted rescue of the iran the hostages in iran i mean you could show the hostage rescue that happened in the 85 you know you could show when the israelis got what was it uganda they got the plane Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, i think there was you know potentially there was the one and i i want to say it was the german gsg9 team that you know stormed another plane and maybe 80s or 90s or something, and they they stormed a plane and took that back. Um, you know, the other movie I never saw that I, I you know somehow related was that movie Munich. Yeah, I saw that. That was pretty good. And now that was how that was how the Israeli commandos chased down those guys, right? Yeah. Now the only thing I've heard, and I'm I I haven't done the research myself. But I, I, I heard that in the movie it shows these guys as kind of having remorse for what they did and, you know, towards the end it kind of. I think so. I mean, I saw the movie once when it came okay. out in theater, so I don't recall, but I, okay. that, seems, that seems right. And I, I, the little bit of research that I've heard is that that really wasn't reality. These guys really didn't have much of a remorse. You okay. know, it was, you know, it was, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I mean, this 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 whole thing could be used to, you know, ask deeper questions of, you know, what motivates this in our society? How can we prevent this from happening? How could, as opposed to just, you know, it's exciting to see these incredibly high trained, highly trained commandos that, you know, put their lives on the line to make other people, you know, free and all this kind of thing. But, you know, you could get into some deeper questions and say, well, what what should we be doing differently as a society, if mm-hmm. anything, you know, and. It's just like I said. It's just taking this topic matter. It you can't make a slipshot action movie about it. You gotta you gotta stretch it out a little bit further. You gotta get a little bit further away from reality if you want us just to kind of go to fantasy land with machine guns. Yeah. All right. Last last thing I'll say. My my last point that I'll say, and then and then we'll we'll wrap it up here. But what was with people like licking rings in this movie? Dude, I don't know, but that was that got me too. That was like. I'm like, I, mm. first of all, if I tried to do that, like my ring is stuck on my finger. There is no way I would ever get, I mean, I, I could like try to pull this thing off with my teeth and it would never, I would just end up hurting my hand. But I'm like, these people, every time they take a ring off, they're like, they have to do it with their teeth and even the ring of the grenade. And then like, they're putting the ring back in the person's mouth. And I'm like, there's this weird like ring mouth thing going on. Yeah, and I, don't, I don't get it. You know, I don't think I, don't I have. It. I don't know. I don't think I have enough of a degree in Freudian psychology to really know what's going on here. Yeah. And the whole taking, you know, pulling a pin out of a grenade with your teeth, I think that's a little bit of Hollywood, too. Mm-hmm. I, I I, don't know. I've never thrown a grenade, well, so what do I know? What it's, do why, I know? it's why terrorists always have bad teeth. 
Yeah, that's right. So, all right. Well, I, that's probably going to do it for us here tonight. Um, I was going to pull up real quick. Let me jump in here really fast and see if I can pull this up here. Um, we are going to, I know earlier on we had kind of talked a little bit about the order of some of our movies. Um, we're going to change up that order slightly. We're going to go back to, originally we were talking about doing these movies um, the month that they would have come out in 86, but then that got a little crazy with realizing that a ton of stuff comes out in the summer, and, and we knew this when we started, a ton of stuff comes out in the summer, not so much in January, February, March, those months. Um, so what we're going to do is we're actually going to go back to uh, kind of a running theme for each month, and uh, I'll run through those now, um, and then uh, we'll go ahead and do our our wrap-up stuff here, but uh, so our what we've kind of decided to run with as our theme is uh, coming up next in March, our theme is going to be Reliving Our Childhood, uh, and that'll be our movies coming up for that are going to be Space Camp, Flight of the Navigator, Transformers the movie, I, hold on. Are you getting choked up? Yep. Are you having a moment? I'm having a moment. Okay. <clears throat> An American Tale, which might even, might even have a moment with that one, too. That's going to be kind of a rough end of the month, is to do Transformers and American Tale. Yeah. And we might actually have to record that in the same night, because we've got, we're have got we all teachers, and we've got spring break coming up, and we won't be around that week. Dude, that's rough, man. That's going to be, bring, bring Kleenex, you know, for us recording, bring Kleenex that night, because... Bring Kleenex. I'm going to bring season five of Transformers when he comes back. Ugh. Okay, that's what that's what I'm going to bring. Mm. All right. I don't know. I I don't know if the kids are old enough to watch that with me. So we'll... that's John. That's a lot, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's you kind know, of intense. You think of what you think of what happened in Star Wars seven mm -hmm. just this year. And now we're going to relive that, you know, opti I mean, it's Optimus Prime and Han Solo. Jeez. Mm hmm. Like, all right, but you, we're, we're going to soldier on. We'll do it. We can do it. We'll do it for America. If, any, if, if Delta Force taught us anything, we'll do it for America. That's right. Um, so, all right, so the, the end of March will be then Transformers the movie and American Tale, and then we're going to try to get a show in on Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, or as some people are calling it, Bivis Dodge for short. Um, <laughs> so we're going to try to do... You know, because it, it, I mean, it's a ridiculously long movie title. So, um, yeah. so we're going to try to get a show in for that one. Um, and we're going to, our recording date for that one is just a few days after the movie actually comes out. So who knows who's going to get to see it in time. Um, and it's during our spring break anyway. So we're just, yeah. we're going to plan to record that day. And whoever can see it is going to see it. If it's me sitting here by myself, we'll do that. But um, that'll finish off the month of March for us, is Bivis Dodge. Um, and then April is going to be our sci-fi movies. I am looking forward to these. Yes. Uh, April is going to be Short Circuit, Invaders yes. from Mars. Um, and I have, actually for us uh, doing the show, I have copies of both the 50s Invaders from Mars and the 86 Invaders from Mars, so we can watch both of them. Yes. Uh, Aliens with Sigourney yes. Weaver. I am looking forward to that one. That is one of my favorite sci-fi action movies ever of all time, period. Yeah, man, that's got great music in it. I also like Alien 3, which Jason, who used to be on the show, Jason and I will debate this back and forth. I think that's a great movie, and I don't care what he says. It's a great movie. But there you go. There anyway, you go. Uh, end of April will be Star Trek Four: The Voyage Home. Awesome, awesome movie. Any t Star Trek and whales. That's all. That's it. 
Kirk Star Trek, the whale, whales, Kirk and time travel. Star Trek, whales, and time travel. Uh, May is going to be our sports movies, um, and that is and one of these is not necessarily a sport movie, but you know it's coming out that month, so we're going to throw it in there. Uh, Hoosiers, The Karate Kid Part Two, Captain America: Civil War, not a sport movie, but you know, athletic and it's a, a gladiator oh. match between Iron Man and Captain America, so we can. You know, it's close enough. There's teams. Yep, yep. Uh, team Iron Man and, and Team Team Stark and Team uh, Rogers. Yeah, Mister Rogers. There it is. Um, will they, if Mister if Captain America gets older, will they call him Mister Rogers? Possibly. Okay. Why not? All right. Well, I mean, yeah. Okay. And then finishing off May will be The Color of Money. Uh, June takes us into our comedy movies. We're going to do Police Academy 3, Howard the Duck, Crocodile Dundee, and The Money Pit. July will be our fantasy movies, The Golden Child, Big Trouble in Little China, Highlander, yeah. and Legend. That's awesome. Looking forward to those two. Yes. I actually watched, uh, because it's on Netflix, I watched Big Trouble in Little China again last year. That's a, okay. fun, that's a fun movie. I like that movie. Yeah, it's, it's a great movie. Yeah. Um, August is going to be our school movies. Um, August is a month with five Wednesdays, so we'll have five movies in that one. Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Back to School, Wildcats, One Crazy Summer, and River's Edge. Okay. Um, real quick, if anybody's listening to this, uh, there is coming up in, I think, May? Okay, I'll have to look it up and see. Um, Ferris Fest is coming up. And I it's, saw that. It's going to be in, in my town, the town I live in, of Lake Forest, and they are doing, the tickets are kind of expensive, so I'm not going. Um, but they are doing like an entire weekend where they're going to take people on tours to go to Wrigley Field and go to the actual seats they were sitting in to reenact the whole parade scene. Um, they're going to go to the different locations. They have a like a, a model of his bedroom that's been built, and it's like an exact replica of the whole thing. They've got the red car uh, from the movie. Um, there's going to be a screening of the movie in Lake Forest with some of the actors from the movie, not the big actors, but like Ferris Bueller's parents and you know a couple of the other actors. Um, but it's this whole big thing. Tickets are kind of expensive, so you know if you're a huge Ferris Bueller fan, go to I think it's FerrisFest.com, um, and I, it, tickets to go see the movie. It, it's the whole day event. They do the, some of the tour stuff and and. Um, you see the movie, but I think tickets just for the one day to see the movie and do that stuff on that Saturday is like $175. Oh, jeez. So I, the whole weekend, I think, is something like 350 or $400 if you do the whole thing. So I, I like Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Not going to pay that much. Yeah, maybe if you get to leave with one of those Ferrari 250s, then, you know. Right, if they want to give me the car, sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, September will be our relationship movie, so Pat may take a break during September. Um these will be uh, Ruthless People, Hannah and Her Sisters, Stand By Me, and The Mosquito Coast. Uh, October, well, actually, Pat may take a break during October as well. Yeah, um, man, you guys are pulling that poltergeist thing. Did the kid come back? Oh. Kid, I just. Yeah. I. Mm, you got to watch it. I can't tell you. Dude, I'm going to read about it on IMDb. Whatever. <laughs> Go ahead. You can do your thing. I didn't mean to interrupt, That's man, fine. But you, I don't like that scary you read it. It's still going to scare you even when you read about it. Anyway, there's a poltergeist too. So, what do you think? I guess she came back. She okay. I'm not gonna say it, but Don't all right. So, October is our horror movies. We got Poltergeist two. We've got House. We've got Little Shop of Horrors. I'm looking forward to seeing that one again because that's a yeah. fun one. Um, and I think I have a copy of the old Little Shop of Horrors as well. And then our last one for October that I'm really looking forward to is The Fly. 
And I, I do have a copy of the old Fly, which I think was from the 50s, and the new Fly, the one with Jeff Goldblum, well, new as in 1986. Um, November is going to be our fighting crime mystery movies, Cobra, Raw Deal, Blue Velvet, and The Name of the Rose. And December will be our adventure military movies, Top Gun, Platoon, The Manhattan Project, and Star Wars Rogue One. Dude, so awesome. That'll finish off the year for us. Some of those may change here and there. You know, if we decide to switch out a movie for something else, um, we may we may get that. If we get some feedback from listeners that say, hey, you totally missed this movie and we'd like to hear about it, let us know because uh, we can always make changes to that list. That list is not etched in stone. Um, but our next episode, we're going to be coming back. And, I, and I've seen Space Camp, but I just don't remember a whole lot about it. So I'm kind of looking forward to seeing that one again because I just don't. I don't remember it, okay. but I remember liking it as a kid. All right. All so, right. Yeah. All right. Well, you've been listening to the 30 something movie podcast. How can you get in touch with us? You could tweet us. Jeff's not here to get tweeted, but you could tweet us. We're at three zero podcast. You could email us 30 podcast at gmail.com. And again, if you took a date to go see this movie in 1986, please email us. We would love to hear how that went. Yes. And if you're still together. And if yes. so, that's like a relationship that can weather anything. So give dating advice as well. Uh, you can like us on Facebook. We are facebook.com slash 30podcast. You could call us, 872-35-MOVIE. That's 872-356-6843. Listen and sponsor us, the30podcast.podbean.com. If you click on the Be My Patron link, you can donate to the show. Again, we just we're doing this because we love movies. There is a little bit of a cost relate, related to the hosting of the show and, and some of those fees. Um, so if you feel so led to support us in that way, please do. Um, otherwise, we just appreciate it that you are here each and every week listening. You Definitely. can listen to us. Absolutely. You can listen to us through the Stitcher radio app, the Satchel podcast app, Google Play podcast as soon as that's up and running. Uh, and obviously by subscribing to us in the iTunes store. And again, uh, please head over to the iTunes store and leave us a review. If you'd like to leave us a five-star review, um, you could have it say this. The 30-something movie podcast fills me with the same type of joy that I get from watching something shoot out the back of Chuck Norris's tailpipe. Or, or, <laughs> or maybe don't say it that way. <laughs> You are an artist. You are an artist of words. Maybe say it a slightly different way. I, I, man, leave it how it is. Don't that didn't. I, I would say that didn't come out the way I expected, but then that just makes it worse. <laughs> yeah. All right, I'm, I'm digging myself into a hole here. So I, I was gonna. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So I, th <laughs> I think it's I think it's late enough. I think it's time to sign off here before. Uh, we end up, we keep going until we get to the, the sequel of Delta Force, which yeah. I, I, something tells me we're probably not going to cover that one when it gets around to that, that one. I, I'm thinking no. Yeah. I'm thinking, I'm thinking no. Yeah. So, uh, so we'll, we'll leave you with a few moments of this uh, rousing theme from Alan Silvestri and the Delta Force, and we will see you back here next week for Space Camp. Bye, everybody.
tight sucker. <laughs>